Is your job search stuck? Maybe you're not getting any interviews with employers, or maybe you are, but no job offers. Or you may be new and not even know where to start. This is Charles Maxwood, and I'm releasing a new course and ebook on how to find a job as a software developer. The course walks you through the process of finding the types of companies you want to work for, getting their attention, and putting your best foot forward as the candidate they want. I've coached dozens of developers in looking for jobs and have been able to help several people find jobs within two weeks to two months. So whether you're new to development, can't find a great job that fits what you want, or are looking for remote work from an area without a strong tech community, I can help. Go to getacoderjob.com and sign up today. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of my JavaScript story. This week, we're talking to Henry Zhu. Henry, do you want to say hi? Hey, everyone. Glad to be on. Now, uh, you're the maintainer of Babel, and we've had you on the show before. I, I should look up that episode number. Do you want to, is there anything else you want to say as far as uh, an introduction goes? Uh, yeah, I used to work at Adobe, and I live in New York right now. But yeah, I left my job in March. Uh, I'm trying to work on Babel full-time. Nice. Yeah, it's nice too, just having somebody that's dedicated to the project. So we, appre- we all appreciate the time you put in. Yeah, we talked to you in July on episode 321. And since then, you've released Babel 7. Yeah, finally. <laughs> I know, we should have held out on you a few months. Anyway, do you want to just briefly explain what the Babel project is, and then we'll jump in and we'll talk about your story, what you've done in JavaScript, all that good stuff? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so I would say that Babel is a translator, but it's a translator for programming languages, and the term we use for that is a compiler. I know that before people would use the word transpiler, but it's basically the same thing, except Mm -hmm. that it only translates JavaScript to JavaScript. And so most languages compile a higher level language to a lower level language, like C right. to like assembly. But uh, instead, what we do is we take a, a later version of JavaScript and we compile it down to an older version. And the reason why you would do this is because you don't know what browser your users use. Mm-hmm. So even if they're not using Internet Explorer, but if they are, then that doesn't even get updated. So if you sent a newer version of JavaScript to that user, it would just error. And so you do this so that you can have like the greatest, widest variety of people to serve. So it's, it's kind of an accessibility issue in a way as well. Just being able to know that, oh, all these people that are still using old browsers, they can still go to my website. Gotcha. Sounds good. Well, we'll, we'll dive into this a little bit more and uh, you know, kind of capture your story as far as uh, taking the project on and things like that. But let's back way up. How did you get into programming? I feel like the earliest memory I have is my, I think I was in middle school and then I, I partnered with my friend for like a science class. I think it was, it was either like earth science. And then we made like a flash animation uh, about earthquakes. I think through that, I got my start with programming. I guess to go back a little bit further, both my parents did programming as well. My mom worked with databases and my dad did various things. So I I guess I grew up knowing about it. They never really encouraged me to do it per se because they kept telling me like, it's not good for your health if you're just sitting there because I had all these back issues, but here Uh I am. So (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Very cool. So how did you get into JavaScript then? Yeah, I think through Flash, I made a few like gains with some friends 
And then I tried coding a, a Chinese card game called Shunji, which our parents played. And then in college, I did a bunch of hackathons, which was in various different languages, uh, which I guess it's kind of like every hackathon you go to, you have to learn a new language. And just that was the only time I've used it. Like I tried Ruby once or PHP mm-hmm. or C Sharp. I think JavaScript was... So in college, I didn't major in computer science, but I really wanted to learn more because that's just what I was interested in. So I took a bunch of classes for fun. Like one of them was a data viz class. And I had the opportunity to code websites or visualizations. And I used, I think I learned about Bootstrap then and then D3. Um, And so I did a bunch of stuff with that. But that was like before going into open source. But that was like actually going through and learning JavaScript. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So you you get in, you play with JavaScript. How did you settle on JavaScript? I mean, what was it that, that made you want to do that? as opposed to some of these other languages that you tried once or twice and never went back to? Yeah, I think my answer here is pretty similar to probably a lot of people where having experience with, say, like Java or something, you have to install it and like all this setup. And then I felt like, I mean, it's even easier now, but, you know, you don't have to download anything. It's just like you can open a web page and it shows up. You can type stuff in the console. And then you can see all these examples of what other people have done. And it's easy to share. And now it's like a lot easier. So you don't have, you can use like Code Sandbox or something like that and get something running. But right. I think I like the uh, visual part of it where it's like, I wanted to make something that you could see. So that's mm-hmm. maybe why I like the visualizations and like UI, stuff like that. Very cool. And, and then at some point you ran across Babel. So h- how did you get into that? Yeah. So actually that, I can do a little like, step back on that too where I so after college I wanted to do software so I kind of like totally threw away my degree in uh, industrial engineering Um, and so I I think I didn't get into any of the you know because I was trying to apply to all those top companies like Google and stuff and then I was like oh I might as well get a job and so I applied to just various places I just picked one that was local and then during that time, I met this guy, Jonathan Neal, and he was at the, com- the company I was at at the time. And he got me kind of into open source. Well, I, I wanted to do open source, but he kind of encouraged me to get started. And so through that, I was like, oh, I should contribute to Angular 1 because that was really cool at the time. And then I found that it was really hard to contribute because it was a framework and I didn't get anything about it. But I found this one issue that was about like fixing a, like a t- uh, not a typo, um, a linting error. And uh-huh. so after doing that, I, I made like, I think like 30 commits or something to Angular. All it did was just like me finding, replacing, like, you know, like adding a space here or stuff like that. And then through that, I was like, wait, the project that tells me where the errors are, it seemed a lot more interesting than Angular itself. And right. that project was called JSCS, like JavaScript Style Checker. And so this is an old project now, and so I'm sure most people don't know about it. But I got involved there, and I thought it was really easy because there was like one file for the the rule itself, and then one file for the test, and then one file for the docs. And it was just like really easy to contribute to. So I got involved there, did various things while I was working in. Uh, I'm from Georgia, and. Mm-hmm. Kind of like halfway through that, maybe like, uh, I forgot, like six months in or a year in, 
I get an email from uh, some people at Behance, uh, which is part of Adobe. And so they kind of asked me like, hey, do you want to work at our company? And so through working on open source for this JavaScript project, I got my job at Behance. And so long story short, I was like, I didn't really want to move to New York. And then but I decided to, and I started working in New York. And then through that, I found out about ESLint. Another long story short is that we merged the projects together. So that's why ESLint is the thing that everyone knows now. And then through that, I found out about Babel ESLint, uh, which is kind of like a compatibility layer if you want to use Babel, but then lint like new syntax. And then I, then I found out about Babel. So it's funny that it took that whole process of like, <laughs> finding this center and then finding this intersection between the linter and the compiler and then going to this compiler. Yeah. And I didn't even know about Babel before. Like, I think I didn't know about it when it was called six to five, actually. Right. I learned about it kind of quote unquote late. So, so you get in, you kind of get interested in contributing to Babel. Was Sebastian still running it at that time, running the project? Yeah. So at this time, I kind of had a little bit of experience like with maintaining a project through the linter, so JSCS, but I barely did anything for Babel. And at the time, yeah, Sebastian was working on it. And he just, like around that time when I moved to New York, he released Babel 6. So I think that was like around November, December 2015 or 16. Mm-hmm. And I remember like, that they did the Battle 6 blog post. And at the bottom, it was like, thanks for all these people. And my name was there. I was like, whoa, what the? <laughs> like, I didn't do anything, but they're like, You're, you're inter- internet famous now. Right. And so I think that, like, really incentivized me to, like, kind of kind of feel like, okay, they put my name there. I might as well do some work to, like, show that I actually did something. Right. And so I, I tried to do that. And during that time, that's when he kind of slowly stepped down kind of because of the burnout and like mm-hmm. everyone complaining about how horrible it was. And then that was the process of me and the other people like Logan on the project of slowly like becoming maintainers over time, even though we had no idea what we were doing. And I barely knew anything about like compilers or even, you know, working on an open source project in general. So, right. So it seems like when I talk to people now, you're kind of the the lead on Babel. Is that is that an appropriate characterization of your role? It's weird. Like I don't. It's like I don't really want to be known as the lead. But then, <laughs> if there isn't, then like who would it be? So I guess so. And maybe that's just because I'm the one spending the most time on it. Right. And, and I'm the one that quit their job to work on it. But it's kind of like it's bad for me in the sense that. I don't want everyone to ask me for questions when there's plenty of other people that are capable of helping. And if I want to get more people involved, I don't want me to be like this, you know, figure that you're supposed to look up to. Right. Um, even though obviously I have experience and I would, I'm help willing to, you know, guide people into getting involved as well. But yeah, I guess I am the lead then. <laughs> right. I, I'm curious how that came about because it, it didn't seem to me that Sebastian really just kind of said, okay, this guy's in charge now, right? He, right. he kind of backed out and, you know, everybody else kind of stepped up to fill the void. And yeah, you eventually wound up quitting your job. And yeah, by virtue of that fact, you probably spend more time on it than anybody else. But yeah, how, how did that kind of uh, crystallize? 
Yeah, I'm not really sure. I think a lot of it is very natural. I think a lot of people joke about how most people that become maintainers do it by accident. Um, <laughs> that's that's definitely true. Or like you stumble upon it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we we don't have a really good way, like as a community, of learning how to like step down or like transfer things. Mm-hmm. You know, you can look back at a lot of different various projects, whether it's like I don't know, Express or Node or Python, right? A lot of people stepping down or Django, like, and then like they stepped down like a way lot, like a lot longer than you would expect. So like, say they've been working on it for like 10 years or something, but they haven't been involved for like three of those, the end of those years, right? because they're not sure on like, and maybe there's that pressure of like, maybe people do see them as the lead. And so they feel even worse about leaving. And so they're kind of just sticking around the whole time, but people are, have already stepped up. And so what does it look like, you know, to actually be like, maybe we should like eventually write that blog post that says I'm not involved anymore and these people are doing it. And I think that's good for, especially for the person that's him him or herself, right? I think that would make sense. But uh, for us, it's like, yeah, I don't think Sebastian was ever like, I'm not going to, I'm leaving. I think he wrote a blog post about like a year in review. And at the end, he was like, I'm going to like step down, but I'm still going to be involved. But like slowly that just kind of, just slowly fade away. And then for me, I, it was kind of weird for me because I was always expecting him to come back. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that kind of changed my attitude toward maintaining the project. I think that for everyone, right. We all thought like, Oh, maybe it's not my place to like make big changes. And so for like a whole year, all we did was make bug fixes basically. And then there's a point where like, okay, I think, and maybe talking to him or, whoever it is, like, hey, we should do something because clearly there are X, Y, Z issues. And if we make these bigger changes, we can benefit the project. But it's like, when do you get to that point of feeling confident that that you're allowed to do that or you're mm-hmm. capable of doing that? And either way, you're going to be scared that you're going to do something wrong, especially if you knew that the person before got burnt out. Right. Because of the right. So it's just difficult. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, what's it like going full time on an open source project? And, and yeah. how do you do that? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I guess the same thing. There's no formula for sure. I don't want to claim that if you, you should do it my way. And maybe, you know, even every project is different. Like a lot of the whole going full time is focused about money. And I, obviously that's a pretty mm-hmm. basic issue. And so, you know, if your project is more of a service, then maybe you should make a company, right? And you can do that as a service. Right. But for Babel, it's like, it's a tool and it's related to the language. I, I just feel almost like weird, like if I made it a service. It just seems not like, I guess I could say morally wrong or whatever, but it's just, it, it seems like such an infrastructure thing. It doesn't feel like we should do it like that. But it also means that because it's infrastructure, no one really thinks about it. And it's, you're even less likely to get help from anyone else because it's kind of underlying everything. And a good example of that has like, even like, uh, say like Next.js or Create React app, like that -hmm. gets way more buzz than that battle itself, uh, even though that's like a core part of how the project works. Right. Yeah, I think for doing full-time, you can plan as much as you want, but when you actually do it, you're going to actually face the issues, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't know, it took like a year to figure out even if I wanted to make the decision, especially if you're already working, right? You're like, you have a nice job. Oh, yeah. Probably. Because you're a software engineer, it's like you're getting paid well, the people are nice, or you like your work. And going away with that to the risk of like 
seeing if that will even sustain or if you even want to do this. Because I think a lot of people want to do open source full-time. It's like their dream. But like, is that actually what you want to do? Because maybe you do it like for fun or you do it once in a while and it sounds like it'd be great. But then once it's your actual job, it's not as fun anymore, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I get the same thing with like freelancing or, you know, I'm full-time doing the podcasts. Right. Like, boy, that's got to be nice. And you're your own boss and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, sometimes, (laughs) sometimes it's not so fun. But yeah. Yeah, I think it's being realistic about that. Yeah. So how do you pay the bills then? Yeah. So for me, currently, I'm paying bills through Patreon, which is just like my patreon.com slash Henry Zhu. And then we have an open collective. So for people that don't know, Patreon is kind of like a crowdfunding site, except Unlike Kickstarter, which is like you're raising money to make some product and you're basically pre-ordering it. It's more like you're just donating to a person or a group for the thing that they do. And it's usually like content creation. Like maybe they are a YouTube channel and they don't want to make clickbait videos to get views. And so they'd rather make the content that they would appreciate and the things that people want. And so instead of the ads, you can just pay directly. And so I'm doing the same thing except with open source. Obviously, I'm already providing value to people by contributing and maintaining the project. And so it's weird because Patreon asks you to have like tiers where it's like, if you donate this much, then you get XYZ. And I figured I'm already giving value. I don't, I feel like if you're giving money, I don't know why I have to give even more of my time. Uh, just because you're giving X amount. And so I try to like make it a little bit fun where mm-hmm. I think I had like, it's like if you pay $7 a month, then then I'll play like board games with you if we're in the same area or like right. if you pay X a month, then we'll get Korean barbecue because I like that. Like it's not like people are going to ask to do that every month or every day, but if that happens and I'm happy to do that, it's just a way for someone to say, I want to donate, right? Right. Uh, and so... Not a sense. Yeah, and that's only for like individual people. If you're actually like wanting to donate a significant amount, then you can donate like either to the Open Collective or just to a different tier in our Patreon. And there I'm like, okay, well, if you're going to give a lot, like $500 a month or something, then we, we can put your like logo or whatever it is on our website. Or, or if you're paying like, like thousands of dollars, then we can do like, then it could be more like a consulting thing or support contract. Mm-hmm. Like that. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Awesome. Is there anything else that you've worked on in the JavaScript space that you're particularly proud of? You did talk through a few other projects, but I'm just wondering if something yeah. stands out as this was fun or this was cool or this really defines who I am. I feel like at this point, yeah, it's, I've been focusing mostly on Bell, but I, I did do a lot of work before that. Like I was saying, I worked on JSCS. Mm-hmm. And that was a, I guess, core team member of that. And even simply the going through the process of merging JSCS and ESLint, that was an interesting event. Uh, and I, we didn't really talk about it, but like, I think you find a lot of people either making new projects or forking projects, but you don't really hear about merging projects. And so the process of doing that was really interesting. Um, I could probably write a blog post about that or something. But yep. you know, like it, you know, there's different people's expectations and ideas and egos and whatever it is and it's hard to like get people to be like hey let's do something that like helps the community together 
And then I also helped maintain Learner before as well. So there's just various projects. I'm not involved in most of them at the moment, but because I'm trying to focus mostly on Babel. But yeah, I, I just try to help out with projects where I can that's in the JS ecosystem space. Something I've been thinking about, like, after, like when I, I said this when I was trying, I was leaving, I was like, not that I'm going to leave Babel anytime soon, but I think it would be interesting to get involved in other projects from a like high level point of view, not really the day to day, but like thinking about like, how do other projects maintain their open source projects and what can we learn from each other, you know, from the meta point of view, like, okay, how, do they do meetings and how they do issue triage and support and releases, like that kind of stuff. Um, I think that's really interesting to me. Yep. So what are you working on now? Yeah. So right now we just released seven, right? A, a while ago. And then we did a 7.1. Uh, so a lot of it is, I, I'm not really sure what we should do next. I, I wrote a roadmap like a year ago. And I think a lot of those things are still relevant. So I think trying to figure out what what we should work on next, like what's important, when should we do an eight um, and not take as long as two years to do it. Mm-hmm. And then those that's just in terms of like features, I guess. But I've been thinking a lot more about like uh, the future of the project, like long term. So like how do we get more maintainers? Um, not just contributors, but people that can like help review pull requests, stuff like that. It's like, you know, we have a handful of people actually like willing and able to do that stuff. And so I want to spend more time doing that. Like I can spend a lot of time fixing bugs and doing all this stuff, but that's just short term, right? I think I want to invest in finding a ways of getting more people in. Um, And not just through like, you know, like we have Hacktoberfest now and like, We've also done Google Summer of Code. We've just done Rails Girls Summer of Code. So there's a lot of initiatives and we've already done a lot of work, but maybe we can do something new. Like I want to maybe I can yeah. partner with like a local university it might be interesting. Maybe they have like classes on open source. So I could do a workshop, maybe do a local meetup that where instead of talks, it's just like working on Babel or something. Yeah, I think there's a lot we can do. It's just like the problem is if that's, the work that we're doing now, in addition to all that stuff, then that's like crazy, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so learning to like be okay with not releasing as often or fixing everything because just because someone told you like it's broken and you have to do it, right? And I think it's like, especially if you're full time, I should have the freedom to decide like what is good for this project and not just put out fires all day. Um, right. and so thinking about that is, is hard, but you know, trying to prioritize like, your own mental health and then the project, the health of the project as a whole versus like caring about like how many releases do we do and how many stars do we have and how many downloads do we have? Stuff like that. Yep. Yeah. Very cool. If people want to find you online, where do they go? Yeah. So I'm on Twitter, left underscore pad. Uh, I also have my website, which is basically <laughs> links to everything else. Um, I think it's, it's henryzoo.com, but like Z-O-O. Very cool. All right. Well, uh, the last part of the show is picks. Do you have some things you want to shout out about? Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. 
You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Yeah. So I guess this counts as something I've been working on. I haven't released it yet, but I'm assuming when this goes out, it'll be live. Uh, so I've been working on my own podcast. Nice. And, and I'm planning on releasing it next week. So that'll be like GitHub Universe week. And so I've been working on this for like probably three or four months. And it's kind of different. So it's going to be a podcast about faith and open source and kind of like talking about the intersection between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of it has nothing to do with code per se. So I think it should be interesting for people that don't even do like coding, but it's more about community, right? Like how in open source, we're serving this community and church, we're doing the same thing. Right. And so I'm doing that and I pre-recorded all the episodes. So it's kind of more like a season, I guess. Um, so I'm going to have 10 episodes. We're just going to release it. No one's going to expect it, obviously, uh, but I'm curious to see what the f- the feedback will be because <laughs> it'll be very unique. Awesome. Yeah. Sounds terrific. I'm going to jump in with a few picks. Also, as you know, since you're talking about launching a podcast, I'm going to throw one in here. One of my co-hosts on Ruby Rogues, and by the time this goes live, it will probably well long time have been released because mm. we're we're you know several weeks ahead on my JavaScript story from when we record. So we're recording this probably mid-October. It's October 10th today. Mm-hmm. And we're probably going to release this sometime in November or December. But one of my co-hosts has been working with me to pull together a data podcast. So it's basically, you know, collecting data, analyzing data, you know, all that stuff. So uh, that should be interesting. And that'll probably be live by the time this goes live. So if you head to devchat.tv and check it out, that would, you know, That'll give you the information. I'm also working on reworking the way that we do the emails uh, on the mailing list. So if you jump on the mailing list, we're just going to send an email out probably every Monday and let you know what episodes released last week across the entire network. And then what we're probably also going to do is we're probably also going to come back around and, you know, if you want specific episodes sent to your inbox, then we'll send those along too. So stay tuned for that. And yeah, those are, those are pretty much my picks. I don't think we have anything else. Uh, Henry, thank you for coming and talking to us. Thank you. All right. We'll go ahead and wrap this one up, folks. We will catch you all next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.